0: Volume One, Chapter Twelve of Gwen Wynn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Stevens. Gwen Wynn, A Romance of the Y, by Maine Reed. Volume One, Chapter Twelve, A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. Father Rogier is a French priest of a type too well known all over the world the Jesuitical. Spare of form, thin-lipped, nose with the cuticle drawn across it tight as drum parchment, skin dark and cadaverous, he looks Loyola from head to heel. He himself looks no one straight in the face. Confronted, his eyes fall to his feet, or turn to either side, not in timid abashment, but as those of one who feels himself a felon. And but for his habiliments he might well pass for such, though even the sacerdotal garb and assumed air of sanctity do not hinder the suspicion of a wolf in sheep's clothing, rather suggesting it. And in truth is he one, a very Pharisee, inquisitor to boot, cruel and keen as ever sat in secret council over an auto de fe. What is such a man doing in Herefordshire? What in Protestant England? Time was, and not so long ago, when these questions would have been asked with curiosity and some degree of indignation, as, for instance, when our popular queen added to her popularity by somewhat ostentatiously declaring that no foreign priest should take tithe or toll in her dominions, even forbidding them their distinctive dress. Then they stole timidly and sneakingly through the streets, usually seen hunting in couples, and looking as if conscious their pursuit was criminal, or at the least illegal all that is over now the ban removed the boast unkept to all appearance forgotten now they stalk boldly abroad or saunter in squads exhibiting their shorn crowns and pallid faces without fear or shame instead triumphantly flouting their vestments in public walks or parks or loitering in the vestibules of convents and monasteries which begin to show thick over the land threatening us with a curse as that anterior to the time of bluff king hal no one now thinks it strange to see shovel-hatted priest or sandalled monk no matter in what part of england nor would wonder at one of either being resident upon wyside father rogier one of the former is there with similar motive and for the same purpose his sort sent everywhere to enslave the souls of men and get money out of their purses in order that other men princes and priests like himself may lead luxurious lives without toil and by trickery the same old story since the beginning of the world or man's presence upon it the same craft as the rain-maker of south africa or the medicine-man of the north american indian differing only in some points of practice the religious juggler of a higher civilization, finding his readiest tools not in roots, snakeskins and rattles, but the weakness of woman. Through this, as by sap and mine, many a strong citadel has been carried, after bidding defiance to the boldest and most determined assault. Père Rogier well knows all this, and by experience having played the propagandist game with some success since his settling in Herefordshire, He has not been quite three years resident on Wyside, and yet has contrived to draw around him a considerable coterie of weak-minded Marthas and Marys, built him a little chapel, with a snug dwelling-house, and is in a fair way of further feathering his nest. True, his neophytes are nearly all of the humbler class, and poor, but the Peters pence count up in a remarkable manner, and are paid with a regularity which only blind devotion or the zeal of religious partisanship can exact. Fear of the devil and love of him are alike effective in drawing contributions to the box of the Ruggs Ferry Chapel and filling the pockets of its priest. And if he have no grand people among his flock, and few disciples of the class called Middle, he can boast of at least two claiming to be genteel, the Murdochs, with the man, no false assumption either, neither does he assume or value it. Different the woman. Born in the Faubourg Montmartre, her father a common ouvrier, her mother a blanchisseuse, herself a beautiful girl, Olymp Renault soon found her way into a more fashionable quarter. The same ambition made her Lewin Murdoch's wife, and has brought her on to England. For she did not marry him without some knowledge of his reversionary interest in the land of which they have just been speaking, and at which they are still looking. That was part of the inducement held out for obtaining her hand. Her heart he never had. That the priest knows something of the same, indeed all, is evident from the word he has respondingly pronounced. With step, silent and cat-like, his usual mode of progression, he has come upon them unawares, neither having note of his approach till startled by his voice. On hearing it, and seeing who, Murdoch rises to his feet, as he does so saluting. Notwithstanding long years of a depraved life, his early training has been that of a gentleman, and its instincts at times return to him. Besides, born and brought up Roman Catholic, he has that respect for his priest— habitual to a proverb, would have, even if knowing the latter to be the veriest Pharisee that ever wore a single-breasted black coat. Salutations exchanged, and a chair brought out for the newcomer to sit upon, Murdoch demands explanation of the interrupting monosyllable, asking, "'What do you mean, Father Rogier, by two? "'What I have said, monsieur, that there are two between you and that over yonder, or soon will be, in time perhaps ten. "'A fair paysage, it is,' he continues, looking across the river. "'A very Vale of Tempe, or Garden of the Hesperides. "'Pas bleu! I never believed your England so beautiful. "'Ah! What's going on at Langoran?' "'This is his eyes rest upon the tent, the flags, and gaily dressed figures. "'A fête champetre! Mademoiselle making merry, "'in honour of the anticipated change, no doubt.' "'Still I don't comprehend,' says Murdoch, looking puzzled. "'You speak in riddles, Father Rogier.' Riddles easily read, monsieur. Of this particular one you'll find the interpretation there. This, pointing to a plain gold ring on the fourth finger of Mrs. Murdoch's left hand, put upon it by Murdoch himself on the day he became her husband. He now comprehends, his quick-witted wife sooner. "'Ha!' she exclaims, as if pricked by a pin. "'Mademoiselle to be married!' The priest gives an assenting nod. "'That's news to me,' mutters Murdoch in a tone more like he was listening to the announcement of a death. "'Moi, si! Who, Père? Not Monsieur Shenstone, after all?' The question shows how well she is acquainted with Miss Wynne, if not personally, with her surroundings and predilections. "'No,' answers the priest, "'not he.' "'Who, then?' asked the two simultaneously. "'A man likely to make many heirs to Langoran, widen the breach between you and it.' ah to the impossibility of that ever being bridged pere rogier appeals murdoch i pray you speak out who is to do this his name Le capitaine ryecroft captain ryecroft who what is he an officer of hussars a fine-looking fellow sort of combination of mars and apollo strong as hercules as i've said likely to be father to no end of sons and daughters with gwen wynne for their mother la i can fancy seeing them now at play over yonder on the lawn captain ryecroft repeats murdoch musingly i never saw never heard of the man you hear of him now and possibly see him too no doubt he's among those gay toxophilites ha no he's nearer what a strange coincidence the old saws speak of the fiend there's your fiend monsieur murdoch he points to a boat on the river with two men in it one of them wearing a white cap. It is dropping down in the direction of Langoran Court. "'Which?' asks Murdoch mechanically. "'He with the chapeau blanc. That's whom you have to fear. The others but the Waterman Wingate, honest fellow enough, whom no one need fear, unless indeed our worthy friend Coracle Dick, his competitor for the smiles of the pretty Mary Morgan. Yes, mes amis, under that conspicuous capy you behold the future lord of Langoran.' "'Never!' exclaims Murdoch, angrily gritting his teeth. "'Never!' The French priest and ci-devant French courtesan exchange secret but significant glances, a pleased expression showing on the faces of both. "'You speak excitedly, monsieur,' says the priest. "'Emphatically, too. But how is it to be hindered?' "'I don't know,' sourly rejoins Murdoch. "'I suppose it can't be,' he adds, drawing back, as if conscious of having committed himself.' "'Never mind now. Let's drop the disagreeable subject. You'll stay for dinner with us, Father Rogier?' "'If not putting you to inconvenience.' "'Nay, it's you who'll be inconvenienced—starved, I should rather say. The butchers about here are not of the most amiable type, and, if I mistake not, our menu for to-day is a very primitive one—bacon and potatoes, with some greens from the old garden. "'Monsieur Murdoch, it is not the fare but the fashion which makes a meal enjoyable.' a crust and welcome is to me better cheer than a banquet with a grudging host at the head of the table besides your english bacon is a most estimable dish and with your succulent cabbages delectable with a bit of wise salmon to precede and a pheasant to follow it were food to satisfy lucullus himself ah true assents the broken-down gentleman with the salmon and pheasant but where are they My fishmonger, who is conjointly also a game-dealer, is at present as much out with me as is the butcher, I suppose from my being too much in with them in their books. Still they have not ceased acquaintance so far as calling is concerned. That they do with provoking frequency. Even this morning before I was out of bed I had the honour of a visit from both the gentlemen. Unfortunately they bought neither fish nor meat— Instead, two sheets of that detestable blue paper, with red lines and rows of figures, an arithmetic not nice to be bothered with at one's breakfast. So, Pear, I am sorry I can't offer you any salmon, and as for pheasant, you may not be aware that it is out of season. It's never out of season, any more than barn-door fowl, especially if a young last year's cock that hasn't been successful in finding a mate. But it's close time now, urges the Englishman, stirred by his old instincts of gentleman-sportsman. "'Not to those who know how to open it,' returns the Frenchman, with a significant shrug. "'And suppose we do that to-day?' "'I don't understand. Will your reverence enlighten me?' "'Well, monsieur, being wit Monday, and coming to pay you a visit, I thought you mightn't be offended by my bringing along with me a little present for madame here, that we're talking of, salmon and pheasant.' The husband, more than the wife, looks incredulous. Is the priest jesting? Beneath the frock, fitting tight his thin spare form, there is nothing to indicate the presence of either fish or bird. Where are they? asks Murdoch mechanically. You say you've brought them along? Ah, that was metaphorical. I meant to say I had sent them, and if I mistake not, they are near now. Yes, there's my messenger. He points to a man making up the glen, threading his way through the tangle of wild bushes that grow along the banks of the rivulet coracle dick exclaims Murdoch, recognizing the poacher the identical individual answers the priest adding who though a poacher and possibly has been something worse is not such a bad fellow in his way for certain purposes true he's neither the most devout nor best behaved of my flock "'Still a useful individual, especially on Fridays, when one has to confine himself to a fish diet. I find him convenient in other ways as well, as so might you, Monsieur Murdoch, some day. Should you ever have need of a strong hard hand, with a heart in correspondence, Richard Dempsey possesses both, and would no doubt place them at your service, for a consideration.' while Murdoch is cogitating on what the last words are meant to convey, the individual so recommended steps upon the ground. A stout, thick-set fellow, with a shock of black curly hair coming low down almost to his eyes, thus adding to their sinister and lowering look. For all a face not naturally uncomely, but one on which crime has set its stamp, deep and indelible. His garb is such as gamekeepers usually wear, and poachers almost universally affect, a shooting coat of velveteen, corduroy smalls, and sheepskin gaiters buttoned over thick-soled shoes iron-tipped at the toes. In the ample skirt pockets of the coat, each big as a game-bag, appear two protuberances that about balance one another, the presence of which the priest has already delivered the invoice, in the one being a salmon blotcher weighing some three or four pounds, in the other a young cock-pheasant." Having made obeisance to the trio in the grounds of Glyngog, he is about drawing them forth when the priest prevents him, exclaiming, "'Arete! They're not commodities that keep well in the sun. Should a water bailiff or one of the Langoran gamekeepers chance to set eyes on them, they'd spoil at once. Those lynx-eyed fellows can see a long way, especially on a day bright as this. So, worthy Coracle, before uncarting, you'd better take them back to the kitchen.' "'Thus instructed, the poacher strides off round to the rear of the house, "'Mrs Murdoch entering by the front door "'to give directions about dressing the dinner. "'Not that she intends to take any hand in cooking it, not she. "'That would be infradig for the Ancien Belle of Mabile. "'Poor as is the establishment of Glingog, "'it can boast of a plain cook with a Slavi to assist. "'The other two remain outside, "'the guest joining his host in a glass of brandy and water.' more than one, for Father Rogier, though French, can drink like a born Hibernian. Nothing of the good Templar in him. After they have been for nigh an hour hobnobbing, conversing, Murdoch still fighting shy of the subject, which is nevertheless uppermost in the minds of both, the priest once more approaches it, saying, "Parbleu, bleu! they appear to be enjoying themselves over yonder. He is looking at the lawn where the bright forms are flitting to and fro, and most of all, I should say, Monsieur Whitecap, for tasting the sweets of which he'll ere long enter into full enjoyment when he becomes master of Langoran. "'That never!' exclaims Murdoch, this time adding an oath. "'Never while I live! When I'm dead! "'Dinere!' interrupts a female voice from the house, that of its mistress seen standing on the doorstep. "'Madame summons us,' says the priest. "'We must in, monsieur.' While picking the bones of the pheasant, you can complete your unfinished speech. Allons! End of Volume 1, Chapter 12